En Kaiser Permanente creemos que la salud es un derecho para todos. Un derecho que respeta a todas las comunidades. Un derecho que enfrenta a los desafíos sin dejar a nadie atrás. Y que ayuda a los niños a crecer más sanos. Y que nos prepara para un futuro donde todos podamos sentirnos protegidos. Creemos que la salud es un derecho para vivir bien. Kaiser Permanente. Viva bien. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan of the Mid-Atlantic Stay Inc. 2101 East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. Not a lot of people know this, but up until the 1800s, it wasn't uncommon for wealthy travelers to blindfold themselves when crossing mountain ranges. It seems bizarre today, but the same vistas that we now use to make our desktop backgrounds snazzy used to inspire fear in our ancestors. They look out of the carriage at the rugged, snow peaked stone before them, at the dark valleys untouched by human hands below them, and avert their gaze in fear. Land which lacked civilization wasn't beautiful. It was terrifying. Out there, in their untamed wilderness, there was danger. There were things beyond comprehension. Out there, in the impassable wood, there was death. A piece of cloth wrapped around one's eyes would help stave off thoughts of human fragility. The whole idea seems silly, but having heard what I've heard, I can't help but wonder whether the noblemen who were passing through the Slovakian Tatra mountain range at sundown wore something else along with their blindfold. I wonder if they wore earmuffs. My trip to Slovakia was a last-ditch effort to save the band. The Warriors of Perun was my baby, and I knew if I didn't put together some new songs, it would become a stillbirth. I had hoped that by escaping the constant rustling of Prague's subway system and the mysterious smell of dog food that lingered around my neighborhood, I would manage to unlock some magical creative energy. Lyric ideas that could fill entire albums hung from trees in the forests of our eastern neighbor. I figured all I had to do was disconnect from the internet and go pick up the luscious inspiration fruit. I was wrong. Even though Slovakia is completely landlocked, the mountain lodge that I had ended up booking smelled pervasively of fish. The lodge also happened to be the closest thing to a village pub in the area, so every day from noon until sunrise, the wall shook with palenka-fueled singing sessions. The part of their advertisement that mentioned a tranquil rural location was also misleading. Whilst the Goral Inn was, indeed, located in the middle of nowhere, it was also located right next to a major road that led through the middle of nowhere. The Tatra mountain vista which I came to see was constantly surrounded by the fog of Polish truck drivers. Within the first hour of me getting settled into the Goral Inn, I had heard the drunk men downstairs howl the same song about throwing cherry branches into unmarried women's dresses thrice. This was not the writing retreat that I had in mind. I considered getting in my car and driving back towards the smell of dog food, but I reminded myself that my trip to Slovakia was a last-ditch effort to save the band. You can't give up halfway through a Hail Mary. I refilled my vape, avoided getting run over crossing the road, and hopped the fence into the forest in search of inspiration. After a couple minutes of awkwardly stomping through shrubs, I found a quaint hiking trail that I thought could inspire a chorus in me. The crackling twigs beneath my feet brought back memories of how Gustav, our drummer, would slam crackling electricity out of his set. 
If the birds would have been chirping faster, and maybe a bit more manically, they'd sound just like the killer licks that Theon could hammer out on a mandolin. The entire forest had conspired to remind me of my bandmates, but it refused to give me what I truly wanted. Inspiration. I was drawing a complete blank creatively. So, I pushed further. The forest trail slowly disappeared beneath my feet. The air became cool under the shade of the thickening tree line and the happily chirping birds were replaced with the whistling of the wood. I just kept on walking, leaving a thick cloud of strawberry cheesecake vape smoke behind me. I knew that somewhere in the forest there was a muse that would help me spin gold into my notes app. All I had to do was find her. Instead, I found someone else. A pale girl passed out on a bed of moss. She looked odd. The dress she wore gave off the impression of being made out of potato sack and her mouth was covered in the slightest hint of purple. The blueberry bush next to her provided some explanation, but there was still something about her that pulled on the strings of my brain. Pale girl lying in a bed of moss, mourning her best friend's loss. As soon as the words manifested in my head, I could see Thoyan rolling her eyes. The warriors of Perun deserved better than cryptic single-syllable rhymes. I could do better. I just needed to try harder. I took another puff of my vape and tried to come up with something more creative. Just as I could feel another wave of lyrics stirring in the back of my skull, the girl opened her eyes. I immediately became self-conscious. Someone had caught me watching them sleep again. Whoa, another person, I exclaimed, hoping to sidestep the awkwardness. She brushed aside the cloud of smoke and stared at my vape. Want a hit? Strawberry cheesecake? I tried to make my offer as casual as I could, but the smoke chocked back in my throat. She waited for my coughing fit to die down before she answered. No, thank you, the girl replied in a hoarse voice. Your loss, I said, and took another, less embarrassing puff of my vape. The girl's eyes bulged as they darted around my body. It was as if I was the first human being that she had ever seen, as if the mere existence of a vape was some work of science fiction. For a split second, I was worried that I'd stumbled upon some strange cult reject, but when she started to stare at my hat, my mind eased. Strange clothes, pale skin, bad at social cues, and is interested in my cool snapback? I figured the chances of me bumping into a graphic designer even in the middle of the forest, was still higher than the chances of me bumping into an escaped lunatic. Gustav had been complaining about how our logo looked more like a bearded man sitting on a dog rather than a pagan god riding his steed into battle. As much as I hated to admit it, I was partial to agree. A plan to leave Slovakia with something more than just lyrics started to brew in my head. Man, it's so nice out here without any emails or IMs, right? It's like we're living in a completely different world, I said, trying to establish some camaraderie before moving on to logo design. She just stared back at me, fascinated by my hat. Which lodge are you staying at? I asked. You wouldn't have heard of it, she said. I noted her hipster response as more evidence for the graphic designer theory. 
Cool, 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 I said, puffing my vape for morale. I'm chilling at the Goral Inn. Came out here for two weeks just to kind of get away from stuff, you know? I'm a songwriter. Well, I think of myself more as a poet, but whatever. That's just the label. Figured a bit of the forest would help me write some really earthy stuff. There's not enough nature in modern life, you know? You make music? Her eyes lit up. The high and mighty anger was working. I doubled down. I make art, I said, reaching for my phone. I'd show you, but... Oh damn, this signal here. One bar. A tiny sliver of nothing in a desert. But still, better than actual nothing. I pulled up a video from one of our performances and played it. The girl stood entirely too close to me. I could have sworn she was smelling me. But I didn't care. Even though the pixelated video was buffering every two seconds, it brought back high-definition memories. I was back in that dingy dungeon bar, rocking out and tasting the flavour of reality that they don't keep stocked on the shelves. The warriors of Perun stood in front of the wild crowd like preachers, delivering an ecstatic sermon to a devoted flock. I needed to be there again. I couldn't let the band die because of my writer's block. And that's when I heard it. It started off as a low rumble. I even ignored it for a second, mistaking it for echo or distant thunder. But the sky was clear and red in the setting sun. This was not thunder. Do you hear that? I asked, pausing the video. There was a low, creeping dread in the noise. I could feel it in the back of my neck. Hear what? The girl blinked. That, I said. The noise had gained a gurgling quality. As dark and elemental as the tone sounded, it shook with human error. Oh, that's just the people from my village saying goodbye to the sun. She had become animated suddenly, as if we were finally talking about something she could relate to. Hey, do you know why people scream at the sun? What the hell are you talking about? I yelled past the growing noise. There was a screeching mania to the screams. It was as if whatever mass of bodies that produced the sound was in wildly different emotional states. Sadness, anger, joy. Every possible palette of a scream mixed together into one horrid yell. And the girl didn't seem to find anything odd about that. She was no graphic designer. They're saying goodbye to the sun. The people from my village do it every sunset. I don't know why, but this is some culty stuff. I am so out. I couldn't contain my fear. The whales have gotten so loud that the goddamn trees were shaking. Whatever that screaming was, I wanted to get as far away from it as possible. But as I started to break out into a sprint, even with a deafening screams in my ear, another voice cut through. Murder, Robert. You have to promote the band. Gustav used the end of his old cigarette to light up a new one. He had just seen me talk to two girls at a bar without mentioning the Warriors of Perun. He wasn't happy. Without likes and shares, we are dead. You must promote every chance that you get. I froze. The world around me was shaking with the howls of some demented ritual, but I had a duty to fill. Ah, pleasure meeting you. 
If you want to hear more about my music, look up The Warriors of Perun on Spotify. Chuck us a like on Facebook too. As soon as I got the words out of my mouth, I broke into a sprint. Gustav would have been proud. I don't know when I stopped hearing the screaming. The adrenaline was coursing through my veins with such fervor that the only thing I could hear clearly in my ears was my heartbeat. As frightened as I was, however, I was still able to make my way back to the Goral Inn without a second thought. I have no sense of direction. I was just lucky. I went back to my room to meditate in hopes of breaking into some forest-inspired trance that would fill my head with poetic rhymes, but the echoes of the screams cut through any semblance of calm that my mind would allow. All I could think about were the red, raw voice chords of the people that screamed at the setting sun. As discomforting as the idea was, there was something about it that reached out to me, something that begged to be explored. I tried to deny its pull. I tried to think about anything other than the screaming, but I couldn't. Outside, occasional headlights would pierce through the impossible darkness of the forest. The unexplainable smell of fish wafted around the room as if it were the ghost of a misguided sailor. Below me, the drunk men sang, Oi, Anika, do not go into the wood. Some secrets are not to be understood. Oi, Anika, they scream at the setting sun. If you hear them, just pull up your skirt and run. I froze. The moonshine-soaked crowd downstairs was singing about a village where everyone screams at the setting sun. The song was a solemn plea, a warning of a mysterious community that did not mean well and was best left alone. The message was simple. Stay away. We had just finished playing a show in a bar where the walls were met with sweat and testosterone. As soon as we got off the stage, I just became another face in the crowd of pearly beards, but Thoyan had developed a small harem of suitors. See, that's why people are so into incest porn, she told her followers as they brought her more shots. It's not that people want to sleep with their brothers and sisters, it's that it's taboo. People always levitate towards things that are forbidden. Downstairs, the air was thick with a fog of smoke. The black feather-tipped hats that the Gauls wore were cocked at a drunken angle. Their white shirts carried the signs of spillage and cigarette burns. A couple of hand axes, way too sharp to be at a drinking establishment, lay propped up against the bar. I ordered a shot of palenka and kept my vape out of sight to fit in. The alcohol scratched its way down my throat and started kindling a fire in my belly. I wanted to ask for a glass of water, but I asked for something else instead. I heard you guys were singing a song about a village where people scream at the setting sun. Is that a real place? The balding bartender with the dirty towel around his neck simply laughed as he poured me another shot. Some questions are simply not meant to be asked. I tried to pry him for more information, but he wouldn't budge. Instead, he just kept on pouring me more shots of that devil water. I tried to talk to the other men in the pub to gain more information about the mysterious village that they sang about, but they all responded with the same words. Some questions are simply not meant to be asked. 
Even my attempts to get them to perform the song about the village again fell flat. The chorus was less interested in singing about the eldritch mysteries that hid in the depths of the valleys, and more interested in singing about throwing cherry branches at unmarried girls. With each rejection came a shot. With each shot, my tongue became less cooperative in asking questions. I passed out as soon as I hit my bed. Faint traces of stars shone through the treetops, but they were simply specks of dust in the all-encompassing darkness. Beneath my feet, branches cracked like fresh snow. I was lost in the dark and alone. A light wind brushed through the silhouettes of the trees I could not see. I tried to focus on the snapping of twigs beneath my feet to find some semblance of calm in the disorienting darkness through which I was traveling, but my frantic mind did not allow for tranquility. I wasn't the only one walking through the woods. I stopped. The crackle of the forest path behind me didn't stop. I was being followed. The blackness behind me shimmered. Outlines of trees and bushes slowly started to materialize from behind a dim, red light. A chorus of screams echoed through the woods. The shrubbery started to shake at the low tenor of the wails. I ran, turning the path beneath my feet into a staccato series of pops and crackles. But soon, the screams that were following me overpowered my footsteps. The outline of the dark forest manifested in the crimson hue of the setting sun. I tripped. A lightning bolt of pain seared its way up my leg. There was no escape from the chorus of screams. They walked on two legs, but that was the only human thing about them. The procession of dark figures moved steadily through the woods. Their horrid arms extended towards me. A maddening red light shone through the tips of their claws. The closer they got, the more I felt the blistering heat stemming from their ghastly appendages. From behind the blinding, hot light, I could see their milky white eyes. Somewhere in those shapeless forms, dirted with specks of darkness, was incomprehensible anger. They shuffled towards me through the wood. I tried to yell for help, but their deafening wails drowned out my screams. Beads of sweat crawled down my forehead. My body refused to move. The screams in my throat got stuck and came out as whimpers. Whatever was happening wouldn't last long. I knew I was about to die. The red-tipped claws were so close to my face I could smell my beard singeing. But suddenly, without a glint of warning, they disappeared. A dark mass of flesh leapt out of the darkness of the mysterious creatures. The forest flickered with a bloody light as a powerful force waged war with the monsters that meant me harm. The cold sweat that covered my body heated up under the boiling ache that washed through my skull. I woke up dazed and confused with a promise to never touch Palenka ever again. The hangover was rough, and within minutes, the sink of my room was filled up with stomach acids that tasted of rotten peaches. Yet, as I splashed water on my face, trying to reacquaint myself with reality, something became deathly clear. Out there, in the woods, was something that begged to be explored. A foreign force that demanded to have songs written about it. Out there in the woods was a village where people scream at the setting sun. And I was going to find it.
the beach. It's not just for screensavers and daydreams anymore. If you're ready for sand between your toes, the smell of the ocean, and sun on your back, now's the time to visit Ocean Isle Beach. The beach accommodations, shopping, and restaurants are all open for business with your safety in mind. Visit OceanIsleStyle.com to book your Ocean Isle Beach getaway today. That's OceanIsleStyle.com. My trip to Slovakia was a last-ditch effort to save the band. I had hoped that in the forests beneath the Tatra Mountains, there would be some ethereal source of inspiration that would kickstart my creativity to help me keep the Warriors of Perun together. I came out here looking for lyrics, but instead, I found something else. Instead, I found the village where people scream at the setting sun. I love the band. Being on stage with Doyan and Gustav is an indescribable feeling. But as I lay here, curled up in the darkness, searching for the slightest hint of a phone signal, I can't help but wish I stayed at home. Do not go searching for the village where people scream at the setting sun. Some questions are not meant to be answered. Some mysteries demand to remain unexplained. Heed the warnings of the locals and stick to the tourist-friendly hiking trails. If you do, somehow stumble through the forest and end up in the village where every sunset is met with the harrowing screams of creatures beyond our comprehension. Run. Run for your life and hope that the slick-skinned monsters that dwell within the village haven't noticed your presence yet. Whatever you do, don't make the same mistake I did. Do not accept their invitation to supper. Even though the tables downstairs were filled up with all sorts of smoked cheeses and crispy bacon, the whole lodge still smelled like a fish market. Having my nose assaulted by the stench of rotting sea while being in the middle of a landlocked country didn't help my hangover, but the fatty food the Goral Inn was serving for breakfast definitely did. All of the lard and potatoes that made up traditional Slovakian cuisine serve as a hefty counterbalance to the raw fire that is Slovakian liquor. By the time I had finished my second helping of bacon topped with Holoski, last night's drinking seemed like a distant memory. I was an aspirin tablet away from becoming a regular human being. As my headaches started to clear, the mystery of the enigmatic village hidden somewhere in those green valleys beckoned to me. Sour milk? The bartender turned waiter asked. He still had the same dirty towel draped around his neck as he had the night prior. But this time, instead of a bottle of palenka, he was holding a jug filled with frothy white liquid. For a split second, the lodge didn't smell like fish anymore. It smelled worse. My hangover tickled my stomach. No, thank you. I'll stick to coffee. His cheery eyes dimmed, as if me refusing to drink spoiled milk was an insult to his culture, rather than an attempt to spare my digestive system a horrible evening. But... The longer he looked at me, the more I realized he wasn't unhappy about the milk. There was something else bothering him. You're the one who asked about the village last night, he said. Yes, and you refused to answer my question, so I'm going to find out answers of my own. You're making a mistake, young man. Some questions are not meant to be answered, and some places are not meant to be found. If you value the life that God has given you, stay away from that village. Nothing good will come of it. 
his warnings fell on deaf ears. Even as the remnants of the jagged hangover bounced around my head, I knew one thing for certain. Finding that village would bring me a boon of poetry that would stop my band from breaking up. I thanked the man for his concern, but assured him that I knew what I was doing. After wiping up my plate with some bread and chugging down another cup of instant coffee, I set out into the forest. The plan was simple. I would make my way towards the spot where I had met the strange girl. From there, I would search the forest for the village. People didn't usually nap in forests unless they lived nearby, and the screams of the villagers were loud enough to suggest that the mysterious ritual couldn't have been taking place far off. The forest was filled with blueberry bushes and slabs of moss that were nearly identical to the ones that I had met the girl by, but my memories of seeing the forest shake with the force of the thunderous screams were vivid enough to help me walk with confidence. I wasn't worried about getting lost. Outside of the images that were scorched into my memory, there was another indicator that I could use to find the spot where I had witnessed the screaming. The phone signal. When I had left Prague, I promised myself I would only use my phone for note-taking. All of those messages and news updates and analytics on our social media profiles were sapping away at my creative potential while I was in Prague. I figured that cutting them out while I was in the mountains would help me foster a calm mind that would eventually give birth to good lyrics. Yet, as I made my way through the forest, towards the spot where I could catch the slightest hint of a phone signal, I started to reconsider my ban on the outside world. The idea to leave Prague came to me with such force that I had completely neglected to tell anyone about my trip. Not answering anyone's messages for two weeks would give me that air of an unreachable artist that I so craved, but the idea of something happening that required my immediate attention not being addressed for two weeks churned in my stomach. I would just check my text real quick. Maybe I'd look at the analytics as well, just in case the Warriors of Perun had stumbled into the good graces of the algorithm and we'd become famous overnight. If there were hundreds of new fans, I wanted to be there to like their comments and urge them to tell their friends about the band. I stood in the same spot where I had stood the day before and took up my phone. One bar of service. My phone was reaching out to the world beyond the mountains. I took a big puff of my vape and waited for the flurry of notifications to come in. Nothing happened. I took another hit filling the fresh mountain air with a scent of strawberry cheesecake. But by the time the silky smoke dissipated, nothing changed. I thumbed my way around every messaging app I had to make sure I was actually online. I was. No one was messaging me. I scrolled my way over to the band's social media. Zero shares, zero likes, zero comments, zero plays. Our music was streaming out under the World Wide Web, but no one was listening. We just finished another show. The past month worth of gigs had been pretty bad, but this one was an absolute disaster. We got on stage two hours later than we were meant to, on account of the booker getting into a fistfight. High-pitched waves of feedback cut through every song like a dull knife, and halfway through our set, a shirtless man rushed the stage, stole my microphone, and sang a little ditty about how Epstein didn't kill himself. The crowd clapped for him. They didn't clap for us. 
The only people in the audience that engaged with our music were the guy rolling on Molly who screamed the wrong words during every chorus and the cheery looking girl who sat at the back of the bar. Anita Vaskova. I knew her from the occasional four in the morning music jams that I'd inevitably end up at whenever I was drinking. She was listening to the band in which I was the lead singer, but I don't think she noticed me. She kept her eyes closed. Anita was too busy beating out the heartbeat of the monstrous tune that Gustav was slamming out on his drum kit. My head echoed with advice from meditation apps. I forced myself back into the present moment. I was standing in the middle of the forest, preparing myself for a journey into a mysterious village. I was doing something adventurous and daring for my art. There was no time for intrusive thoughts. I took another puff of my vape, hoping for the sweetness to wash out the memories of that awful night. It didn't. My mouth filled with the dirty taste of burning cotton. The vape had run out of juice, and in my eagerness to go find the people who scream at the setting sun, I forgot to refill it. It might have been my realisation that I might have to make do without my nicotine dispenser, but suddenly the forest felt much more oppressive. The happy birds that chirped the afternoon away the day prior were replaced with the shrieks of agitated crows that flew above me through the treetop. Thick clouds blotted out the sun. It was going to rain, and I couldn't ease my mind with nicotine. Yet, every creative journey requires the crossing of uncomfortable valleys. I knew that somewhere out there, I could find inspiration. After updating my status to tell people I was out in the woods being a poet, I put away my phone to set out deeper into the forest. I was starting to get cold in my t-shirt, but a warm, optimistic fire was burning in my belly. Going on a journey through the sickly green, really hungover, need my nicotine. Then, after 30 minutes of walking, I ended up back at the same blueberry bush, or at least I thought I did. That small sliver of phone signal that I had found there before was gone. I figured that maybe it was a different brush, so I just kept on walking. But 15 minutes later, I was right back where I started. My poor sense of direction had finally caught up with me. I was lost in the woods. And out there, in the distant valleys, thunder had started to rumble. The Molly Man had brought Thorne's affection with a baggie from his wallet. The two of them were caught in a drug-fueled lover's embrace a couple of steps from the bathroom. I was sitting at the bar, nursing a flat beer, trying to pretend I wasn't the guy who had nervously walked off stage an hour ago. The faces of everyone at the bar were downright hostile, and I kept on worrying someone was going to break a glass over my head. But I couldn't leave. As soon as we finished playing... Anita immediately snared Gustav into a conversation. The two just kept on going at it, excitedly talking about something that was muffled out by the drunkenness of the bar. Gustav barely helped with packing up the gear, and by the time Thoyan met a new friend, I was alone for the job. The whole way through, Gustav and Anita chatted away at the bar. I sat there, watching them, trying not to be obvious. There was some hope in me, that maybe the two were just trying to sleep together, but it faded with every minute of their animated conversation. This wasn't the talk of two people trying to bang, 
This was the passionate exchange of two artists deciding to have a baby. It started to rain. At first, the raindrops were negligible. They even felt good on my sticky, hungover skin. But by the time I reached the same blueberry bush for the third time, the water came down in heavy, cold chunks. The valley echoed with thunder. I could hear the crackling of lightning in the distance. Memories of VCRs from the 90s teaching me about thunderstorm safety reeled through my head. I wasn't meant to stand under a tree. Easier said than done in a forest. Out of habit, I took a deep hit of my vape. My mouth and throat got punched by another wave of burnt cotton. I had no water to wash out the taste. I was lost in the forest during a thunderstorm, out of supplies and massively hungover. Despair started to climb up the back of my throat, but I did my best to recall every single motivational post I had ever seen on Reddit. This was all part of the process. I was the master of my own destiny. This situation could be controlled. It was raining and I had a bad taste in my mouth. I stuck out my tongue and let the fresh water cleanse me of my mistakes. Thunder in the sky and I'm drinking rain. Lost in the woods like a... Damn. Hail. Shards of ice came down like an artillery barrage. I tried to hide under a tree, but a crackling thunderclap scared me off. She took out a pair of headphones. She was playing Gustav her music. My bare arms sustained most of the pelts, but I could feel the hail growing harder, growing bigger. His eyes were closed. He was tapping the table. More thunder, more hail, more rain, more pain. They were going to run away together. Gustav and Anita were going to start their own band. I got down onto the forest dirt and curled myself into a ball. This was the end of the Warriors of Perun. I screamed. It came out to me like a wave of projectile vomit. My voice cords burned raw. My nails dug into my hands. Something that had been festering in me for a long time was clawing its way out. The moment stretched into eternity. Me, a searing, screaming pain, travelling through my body in the darkness of my shut eyes. I don't know how long I howled in the forest, but by the time my voice had given up, I was back on my feet. The rain was gone. Birds were chirping off in the distance. I opened my eyes. Hello? I fell down into the slush of mud and sticks. In front of me stood a little boy dressed in steamboat suspenders. He looked just like any other eight-year-old boy you'd find in a Slovakian Sunday church crowd, with one exception. Across his forehead, barely covered by his blonde locks, there was a dark, green festering wound. It looked like a hoof print. Sup, I whispered in shock. My name is Samko, what's your name? He asked with the pep of a chocolate milk commercial. Robert. I tried not to look at that horrible scar, but I couldn't help myself. Hello, Robert. You look quite lost and maybe hungry. Yes, you look hungry. My family's about to have supper and we own a map. Maybe you would like to join us? Severe head trauma aside, the kids offer our food and a way back home sounded heavenly. 
Maybe it was some sort of sign. Maybe this little helpful kid was sent out by the cosmos to help me get back home. Maybe the experience in the thunderstorm could weave itself into a song and I'd managed to keep the band alive for just a little longer. I was about to accept his invitation, but then another thought struck me. Yes, the kid was definitely a sign, but maybe he was there to get me further from home and closer to that eldritch well of inspiration I was searching for. Samco, do you know anything about the village where people scream at the setting sun? Haha, <laughs> no, he said but I do know about having you over for supper and making sure you don't die in the woods. The kid made a strong argument. I got up and agreed to come over for supper. He grabbed my hand as if I was the child and led me through the forest to a meadow. His hands were freakishly soft. Little boy's soft hand, his scar I don't understand, but maybe he'll help me save the band. As we walked through the meadow, a hot afternoon sun dried my clothes. Not a single cloud in the sky. It was as if there never was a storm at all. The heavens were starting to turn a calm shade of orange as the brightest star travelled east. Everything was going to be fine. Yet, I couldn't take my eyes off the kid's scar. There was something so odd about the dark green hue of the wound. The mark looked bad. Hell, it looked fatal. But Samko moved with the confidence of a toddler who had never scraped his knee. I needed to know. Hey, uh, Samko? The scar you have in your forehead. How'd you get that? The kid shot me a wide smile. It was then that I realized that he was missing a couple of his front teeth. One of the neighbor's cows went loose, Samko said. Does it hurt? I heard myself ask. Not anymore, he replied. Ah, look, we're here. The village was just like any other village you would find in Slovakia. Groups of small wooden cottages lined a single rural road. Fields and barns and vegetable gardens stemmed out from the humble community out towards the dark forest. The place was peaceful. Someone was sharpening a scythe. A quiet song flowed out from one of the cottage windows. A general feeling of tranquility hung around the whole settlement. Yet, when Samco and me passed by one of the barns that sat on the edge of the village, a cry of panic echoed through the valley. Whatever livestock was inside of that rickety structure was seized with a sudden, indescribable terror. Do you like animals, Robert? Samco asked casually. He was barely audible over the shrieking of the pigs. Uh, sure. You still have a dog. Good. He smiled his incomplete grin. Animals don't like me very much. It makes living on a farm difficult. Maybe you can help me feed the chickens. Oh, there's my dad. He was a mountain of a man. Even past the drab suit, you could see the body of someone who'd worked the land his entire life. A jagged scar of dark jade lined the right side of his face as if someone had knocked off a piece of the man's jaw. Papa, I found a man in the woods. I've invited him over for supper. Samko's father's eyes betrayed no emotion. He simply grunted, turned around 
and walked over to the chicken coop that was attached to the woodshed in the yard. The bird seemed to be anxious at his approach, and the closer he got, the more they let their anxiety be known. The chicken that Samko's father pulled out of the coop let out sounds so shrill I had to cover my ears. The man in the suit had no compassion for the writhing bird. He carried the live animal as if it was a lifeless log of wood across the yard, pressed it in my arms, and took a step back and watched. Its tiny heart beat against my fingers, its beady eyes searched for a means of escape, but the chicken had calmed. I held the terrified bird in my hands as the man in the grey suit silently judged me. He likes animals, Samko whispered. The man smiled. His teeth were as sparse as his son's. I can see that. Welcome to our humble village, stranger. Put away the bird and come taste the woman's cooking. She was the only member of the family that didn't have obvious scars on her face. But what she lacked in gruesomeness, she made up for in the general unease she inspired. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but there was something wrong with her. As I watched her transfer the bowls of sauerkraut and potatoes from the stove to the table, I searched the face for the source of the discomfort that I was feeling. She prepared the table in complete silence and moved with the sluggish steps of a lobotomy patient, but there was something else off about her. Her eyes. You wouldn't notice it at first, but the more I looked at her pupils, the more I noticed the fading, milky quality behind them. You are so lucky Samko has found you. Not everyone is as fortunate as you are. Misguided hikers disappear in this valley all the time. The man in the suit had become more amicable after the chicken incident. He was all gapped smiles now. Verona, get the man a glass of milk so that he can enjoy his dinner properly. Without a word, the woman got up from the table, went to the other room and emerged with a glass of sour milk. The hangover that I'd forgotten made itself known as I saw the drink. Could I possibly ask for a glass of water? I'm not a sour milk type of guy. The man's eyes grew cold, but then, as if he had caught a glimpse of his own stony expression, he smiled again. Of course, of course. What sort of host would I be if I couldn't bring water to a thirsty guest? He got up and walked to the other room. His wife and child sat in silence with tight-lipped smiles on their faces. Here, a glass of water. He bellowed with a good cheer as he emerged from the other room. Drink up, enjoy the food, and get ready for a good, long rest. It is dangerous to travel through these woods after sundown, but come morning, we will take you back home so that you can sing praises of our hospitality. I took the glass of water and raised it to my lips. I watched Theon study the contents of a glass as if she was a detective trying to solve a murder case. The owner of the bar had given us complimentary Cuba Libres to ease the sting of the cancelled show. The audience was non-existent and our drummer had bailed last minute because he was busy. I sipped on my charity, but Thoyan kept on studying hers. Something wrong? I asked. Checking for powder. A gal could never be too careful, she replied. All sorts of creepy dudes out there. 
and was passing through a glimpse of irrelevant memory, but it still pulled my eyes towards the top of the drink. I froze. Remnants of white dust floated on the surface of the water. There were small chunks of crusted pills resting at the bottom of my glass. I hate to be rude, I said, trying to stop my voice from shaking. But before I eat, I always like to take a couple puffs from my pipe. Would you mind if I popped outside for a quick second? His scarred face turned to cold stone. If he made an effort to hide behind a smile, it wasn't a good one. Of course, the man in the grey suit hissed through his remaining teeth. Just make sure you don't stay out too long. Wouldn't want the food to go cold. Another helping of burnt cotton, I was too stupid to anticipate. I did my best to hold back my coughs as I peered behind the window and watched the family. They just sat there, completely void of emotion, waiting for me to come back. They were waiting to drug me. I knew I couldn't go back to that house. Whatever charade we were playing was already wearing thin, but I also knew that I couldn't go back and mindlessly trudge through the forest. I'd barely made it out during the daytime. Trying to find my way back to the Garrel Inn under the cover of darkness would be the end of me. I sat there, crouched behind the cottage window, stuck in the same loop of indecisiveness that had plagued me so many times before during more trivial parts of my life. Was I going to risk my life out in the woods or let myself be drugged by the strange, scarred family? I desperately hoped that a stroke of genius would produce an infallible plan for me to survive the night. But before my lackluster intellect could come up with an escape route, I was spurred into improvisation. Samko's chair creaked as he pushed himself away from the table. He walked out of the dining room. The front door opened. Robert! My lizard brain took control. I ducked past the window and hid in the woodshed. Curled up among the darkness of the logs, I hoped that Samko would just get hungry and go back inside. But he didn't. Robert! His childish voice was getting closer. A flurry of chuckling anxiety exploded out of the chicken coop as his footsteps squished through the mud. Luckily, the birds quieted down. Samko had walked past the woodshed and out towards the forest. Robert! His voice stung with the sadness of a child who had just been abandoned by his only playmate. I watched Samko through a gap in the woodshed, and for a split second, I wondered whether I was overreacting. The kid didn't look dangerous. He looked lonely. As he stood alone beneath the slowly reddening sky, an ember of empathy started up in the back of my throat. It was quickly snuffed out. Robert! He yelled my name again, but this time his voice was draped in a tenor that sounded nothing like a child. The sound that came from his mouth echoed with a dangerous, inhuman energy. Robert! There was a growing frustration behind his calls. Robert! Samko stomped his little feet and let out a cry so dark, so savage, so deafening that it seemed as if the whole universe had shifted on its axis. 
Sawdust rained down on me from the ceiling of the woodshed as I watched the little boy's true form reveal itself. Bits of flesh peeled themselves from the back of his head like wet wallpaper. His pale skin hung out from behind his steamboat suspenders like straw on a poorly made scarecrow. Beneath his human shell, Samco was covered in slick, jet black scales. The chickens became anxious again. The muddy backyard sounded off with another set of footsteps, heavier footsteps. The man in the grey suit lumbered his way next to his son and looked out toward the forest. Robert! Robert! He screamed in the same infernal tone. A piece of skin popped off from his bulging neck. The dark scales that rested under his flesh throbbed with a primal rage. Robert! The man in the suit howled out into the woods again. No Robert emerged. Samko's father let out a low, angry hiss and then pelted his son across the back of his head. As soon as his mammoth hand delivered the blow, its skin rumbled up and slid off like a moist glove. Beneath the skin of his human hands, Samko's father had been hiding dark claws. At the edge of each of his razor-sharp fingers, there was a bright light that shined with the colour of the setting sun. Samko's father wrapped his eldritch appendage around his son's shoulder and led him out toward the edge of the wood. Soon, other villagers emerged and joined the misshapen father and son in the clearing. Soon, I realised that I was in the village where people scream at the setting sun. The roaring screams that I had heard the day prior were nothing compared to the earth-shaking force of seeing the ritual up close. The universe shook at its core. It threatened to crack beneath the sheer volume of the deafening yells that the villagers let loose at the reddening sky. When it was all over, when the world outside was plunged into darkness and those ghastly howls had finally ceased, I was happy to be alive. I thought it was all over. I thought that all I had to do was hide out in the woodshed until daybreak and then run as fast and as far as I could with a promise never to return to this horrid place again. Then, the lights appeared. Bobbing bulbs of crimson danced in the darkness like burning fireflies. They were moving back towards the village, towards my woodshed. They moved with a single rallying cry. Robert! They were looking for me. This whole trip had been a horrible mistake. I hoped to come to Slovakia to find a source of inspiration to keep the worries of Perun afloat. But I don't think I'll be writing any songs about this trip. I don't think I'll be writing any songs ever again. I don't think I'll make it through the night. The chickens are growing more agitated by the minute. The horrible creatures that are calling my name are getting closer. Those red, glowing orbs that float through the darkness like sluggish fireworks keep on getting brighter. It's just a matter of time until they find me. If I somehow manage to find a sliver of signal, a tiny bit of internet for me to get out my last words before the creatures who scream at the setting sun tear me apart with their bright-tipped claws, please pass on my final words. Tell Gustav that my dying wish was for him not to start a band with Anita Vaskova.
I was in the middle of a dark forest. My leg was starting to swell, and I had no idea how I'd be getting back to the Goral Inn, but at least I was alive. I was alive and getting further from the village where people scream at the setting sun. The blood-red glare that ebbed and flowed from the barn when my four-legged friends were fighting the bright-clawed creatures was a distant memory once I was deep enough in the woods. The only thing that shone for me were the faint suggestions of stars obscured by the treetops. But I could still hear the echoes of battle. The sound of slaughter bounced around the valleys as a constant reminder that I was not safe. The livestock wouldn't hold off the villagers forever. Eventually, they would come looking for me. The only hope that I had was that by the time the blood and feathers settled, I would be far enough to no longer be worth pursuing. It was difficult to be optimistic about my prospects of making it through the black forest with nothing but a flashlight. The throbbing pain that was spreading through the place where the creature had stabbed me didn't help. Neither did the shivering mountain wind that was drifting past my blood-stained t-shirt. But I knew that if I was to survive, I couldn't think about those things. I had to think about getting back home. About Prague. About the warriors of Perun. Me and Anita sat down on a bench outside of the bar at around 3am for a single cigarette. We barely knew each other. It was just meant to be a bit of small talk between two musicians. The whole conversation wasn't destined to last longer than 15 minutes. But it lasted much longer. Our talk bounced through our personal histories, our shared love of music, the guilty pleasure shows that we would watch. We talked about anything and everything as the sun crawled under the sky from behind the Prague castle and the grumpy morning commuters filled the streets. We smoked her entire pack of luckies. Once those were done, we got another pack and a small bottle of whiskey. We basically had an extended after party on the city bench and just like any after party, it was difficult to leave. There was just something about her that I couldn't leave behind, even though I knew I had responsibilities to attend to in the morning, responsibilities that I cared about. I just stayed glued to that bench. Talking to Anita was a cathartic experience. Even though the two of us had only known each other for a handful of hours, those hours oozed with genuine connection. The thrill of being on stage, the religious experience of standing in front of complete strangers and making them bob their heads with nothing but some lifeless strings and my vocal cords, verbalizing those ideas felt horribly pompous in front of anyone else. But with Anita, my passion flowed with a confidence I didn't know I had. Suddenly, all of my neuroticism had morphed itself into an enjoyable personality quirk. She liked me. When we hugged goodbye in the glaring morning sun, I thought I was in love. My infatuation lasted for about a week. When I messaged her about how well our first gig went, she sent me a big blue thumbs up. Her big blue thumbs up was the response she gave to all of my messages. There was a, I'm doing great, how about you, thrown in there from time to time, but the subtext was pretty clear. I tried to convince myself she just wasn't much of a texter, that she was just really busy, and that one day we would be back to talking until sundown. But that illusion didn't last long. The completely random meets and jam sessions I so diligently planned were filled with five-word conversations and excuses to go to the bathroom. That's just the type of person Anita was. A social butterfly that would fly through Prague's indie scene, 
make heavy, intimate connections with lonely musicians and then let go of the dead weight when it stopped being useful. I didn't have what she was looking for. But you know who did? Gustav. Months later, as I sat at the bar nursing a flat beer, watching the two of them passionately talk about music projects, I knew Gustav had what she was looking for. The two of them would run away and start their own band. The Warriors of Perun would. I forced myself back into the present moment. Even though my fear for the band splitting up had managed to distract me from the fact that I was being hunted by sharp-clawed monstrosities that screamed at the setting sun, the thoughts of Gustav and Anita running away together caused me enough discomfort to want to remind myself that there were more pressing shards of stress for my mind to lean on. As I walked and worried, the sounds of slaughter echoing through the woods died down. For a split second, I thought I could hear the creatures calling my name again, but I pushed that thought out of my head. I couldn't see the outcome of the battle, but I had to hope for the best. I had to hope the animals of the barn had won the battle for my freedom and that the villagers were no longer a threat. Even though I believed that the only danger I was in was the danger of dying stranded in the woods, I turned off my flashlight. I had been walking through the darkness for long enough to get used to the topography of the forest floor. My feet made their way through the night, and even though my shin felt painfully bloated and my body was cold and hungry, an unusual confidence started to brew in my belly. My trip to Slovakia had been a last-ditch effort to save the band. I journeyed out into the woods to find something that would inspire me to write more songs so that the Warriors of Perun would have some fresh material to perform. And the trip had been a success. I didn't have the songs written yet, but I had more than enough material. The strange girl lying in a bed of moss, the horrible storm I was caught in, the battle between the livestock and the villagers, the village where the people scream at the setting sun. Those stories, those moments, those mysterious slices of life from a cryptic, mystifying land that few had seen would be my muse. I would put together an album filled with terrifying mystery. The Warriors of Perun would be back on stage in no time. The twigs beneath my feet crackled with a devoted rhythm. The forest was giving me my marching orders. I would make it back to the Goral Inn if I just kept my pace, if I just didn't give up. Even though it was still dark, birds started to chirp in the treetops. They sang songs of a happier tomorrow. The sky was still black, but the stars started to fade. Soon it would be morning. Soon I would be back inside of the lodge that smelled of fish. Robert, say très bien, Gustav would say after reading the lyrics. Yeah, dude, this is some pretty dope writing, man, Thoyon would add. Hon hon, sacre bleu, and to think I wanted to leave the band. I know, right, we were both so dumb. We're very sorry, Robert, they would say. And I would forgive them. I would forgive them, because we all make mistakes. But mistakes are temporary. The Warriors of Perun are forever. I passed by a familiar-looking berry bush. My heart skipped a beat. Something rumbled off in the distance, something that sounded like a truck carrying Polish frozen goods. The crackling of the sticks started to pick up its tempo. The birds were singing praises of my return. I was in the final stretch of my journey. Even though each step I took with my right foot 
sent pins and needles up my leg. Even though I was beyond exhausted and cold, I found myself running. Out of the darkness, I saw the outline of the secondary bush. I was close. I was so goddamn close. Somewhere in one of the nondescript dungeon bars in Prague, beneath the crumbling ceilings and offbeat paintings of aristocrats holding dogs, a crowd would gather. The place would be packed. They would barely see each other beneath the dim glow of the makeshift light fixtures, but the faces of the people standing next to them wouldn't matter. Anonymity was a part of the appeal. As strangers, they could all let go of their earthly worries and focus on what was truly important. They could focus on the people that were standing on the stage. Thoyan would be fiddling with a mandolin, letting loose potent earworms that would stick with the audience for months. She would make it look easy, as if anyone could just pick up her instruments and casually create eternal melodies. But the audience would be smart enough to know that it wasn't that easy. The audience would know she was just that good. Gustav would be sitting on his drum set, puffing on a cigarette without a care in the world. Chances are smoking indoors would not be allowed in that particular bar, and chances are that someone from the staff would be thinking about asking him to stop. But if they would ever try to confront him about his smoking, Gustav would balance the cigarette in his mouth and let out a beat so savage that the staff would reconsider adhering to the rules. To impede an artist of his tenor would be a bigger crime. And then I would get on stage. The crowd would fall into a hushed, electric silence as I would walk over to the microphone. Ladies, gentlemen, everything in between and beyond, I would yell, putting on the skin of someone who didn't worry about things. The warriors of Perun are back. A deafening internal scream of joy manifested itself as an audible, happy yelp. I recognized that berry bush. I recognized that slab of moss. This was where I met the strange girl who initiated my journey to find the village. Another rumble in the distance. Another Polish truck. Civilization was near. I let out another yelp, louder this time. I was just a couple of minutes away from the Goral Inn. Soon I would be eating, drinking. Hell, I'd even snag a cigarette and a shot of palenka to celebrate the occasion. For a split second, I was happier than I'd ever been. Then, as I moved past the invisible pocket of signal that connected me to the outside world, my phone dinged. Without thinking, I checked my messages. A freezing, tragic shudder travelled down my spine. I sat down on the bed of moss to cushion the emotional blow, but it didn't help. I read the message a dozen times, hoping that somehow what was written in it would change. It didn't. Thoyan to Warriors of Perun group chat. Hey Robert, wish we could talk about this in person, but I guess it's better to just rip the band-aid off. Me and Gustav have been talking, and we both think it's for the best the Warriors rest in peace. Gustav is starting a new creative project with Anita, and I want to take a stab at going solo for a couple of months. I think we should all do our own thing for a bit. Hope you're having a nice time in the woods. Gustav's addition to the conversation was what truly broke my heart. He didn't say a word. He just left a big, blue thumbs up. I leaned back on the bed of moss and let the sorrow wash over me. The Warriors of Perun, my baby, the creative project that I have hitched every moment of my life to for the past two years, 
was dead. Murdered without me even being able to properly say goodbye. I wanted to punch them both in the eye. I wanted to beg them both to give the band another chance. I wanted to scream and weep and break stuff. But instead, I spread out like a corpse on the bed of moss and watched the stars shimmer through the treetop. I lay there trying to adjust to a new reality where the promise of being on stage with my bandmates was a lie. And somehow, I did. If you would have told me a week ago that my band would break up with me through text message and that it would only take me a couple of minutes to go from being a catatonic mess to accepting the loss, I would have laughed in your face, or probably cried in your face, granted that you were describing the greatest tragedy my mind could imagine. But the woods taught me that sometimes pain is a part of the process, that sometimes we must shed parts of ourselves to move on. The woods have told me that there are much worse things out there than losing your band. Don't get me wrong, I was still sad, but being bandless was not the cataclysmic emotion that I had anticipated. It was just like a good TV show going off of air or a six-month breakup. I was going to be alright. I was going to do my own thing like Thoyan had suggested. I listened to the rumbling of the passing Polish trucks in the distance as my mind searched for a path towards solo stardom. I had the inspiration. Now all I needed was a name. It wouldn't come right away, but eventually I would settle on something that would really capture my soul. A name that would get Spotify plays any day of the week. I let my mind sizzle with the possibilities. That's when I realised that it wasn't Polish trucks that were rumbling in the distance. Robert... The sound was faint, deniable even, but the louder it got, the more certain I became. Robert. Damn. Robert. The trees lit up in the blood-red glow I had learned to fear. The bobbing lights moved towards me like a speeding train. The chorus of screams was sprinting towards me, their claws held out in front of them like careless children with scissors. I jumped up from the bed of moss and ran. My feet tore through the mud, each bounce of my step sending a flurry of pain up my right leg. Shrubs whizzed past me as I dashed in the general direction of the Gorl Inn. Every fibre of my being was focused on me getting away. I was a man with a dream. A dream that could only be realised if every muscle on my body would do whatever it could to get me away. The screaming chorus was drowned out with the adrenaline-laced blood gushing through my veins. My eyes were closed, trying to muster up every ounce of energy out of the depth of my soul. My dumbass tripped. I hit the ground like a sack of bricks. My right leg scraped up against the rock and started to ooze. I didn't realise how bloated it was until I was lying there in the mud. It fizzled out of whatever horrible liquid had been gathering in the wound and then descended into complete numbness. There was no way I was getting up. The bushes and trees etched themselves into detail under the hue of the red glow. Those sun-worshipping beasts sprung at me with their claws burning through the twilight. Robert. The thought came quick, even with a short calming acceptance. I wasn't going to make it out. I was going to die. Or worse, end up as some puppet for an unfathomable star god. Either way, I would never get to make music again.
but at least I had one night of being true with Anita. At least I got to share the stage with some talented people. But at least the warriors of Perun got to sing once. I closed my eyes and hoped that whatever was coming would be quick. It wasn't. It never came. I opened my eyes. The chaos of battle raged on in front of me. Something, some mammoth force, was tearing its way through the villagers. In the slowly brightening night, it was difficult to figure out what was happening. All I could see was that the creature that leaped out in my clawed pursuers was a massive chunk of muscle, and it had horns. I did my best to crawl away from the melee, but I couldn't spare myself the sound of it. Gurgles and snaps and cracks filled the air as the creature behind me stomped its hooves on the villagers it had knocked down and gored the ones that were standing. Then, another sound cut through the fight. Moo! I looked behind me. It was just a simple glimpse, a momentary acknowledgement of my existence before she tore her horns out of the neck of one of the slick-skinned monsters. But I could recognize those lava lamp eyes anywhere. Olga? I yelled, as if I had known the cow my whole life. She continued her slaughter. There were six of the monsters that had tracked me down in the forest, but you wouldn't know that by the time Olga was done with them. She made what I did to Samko look like a friendly tap on the head. I stayed and watched as she murdered in the rising sun, partially because my body was exhausted and I couldn't pull myself any further through the pinecone-covered mud and partially because I couldn't look away. The beast was covered in sharp, scratched wounds, both old and new, but she moved with the grace of a bovine ballet dancer. Each crushing stomp was perfectly timed, no slash remained unanswered by her horns. She continued her killing dance until well after the creatures had stopped showing any signs of resistance or life. When she was finally done, and the only sound that could be heard were a pain breathing, she lumbered over to me. Thank you for saving my life, I whispered, hoping that her hooves would steer clear of my skull. She assured me with a gentle lick and then grabbed me by the scruff of my t-shirt. Olga helped me get back to the Goral Inn. Every Tuesday, I go over to the Messiaric University Clinic to get my leg drained. I'm in there often enough to know all the receptionists by name. The doctors say that it's some sort of nasty infection that just won't go away. But I have my doubts. At first, I fear that the swelling would spread, that I would wake up one morning with claws tearing their way through my fingers, or with a sudden need to scream at the sun. But nothing like that has happened. Getting those horrible syringes under my skin every Tuesday has become a minor inconvenience. It's just another price I had to pay in order to find my muses. After I came back from Slovakia, I went back to making music. I'm still making music, in fact. This time around, though, I try to communicate with the muses without asking questions that are not meant to be asked. One experience with a forbidden community that almost stole my soul is quite enough for me. You've probably never heard of my new band, but you've probably never heard of the Warriors of Prun before listening to my story. So, I guess things are just about even. We play our shows and we get along, but sometimes, when the three in the morning jams get a bit drunker than they should, I still miss the Warriors. And, as for what happened to the cow? Honestly, 
I have no idea. She was with me all the way until we got to the Gaul Inn. But as soon as she saw that I was safe, she gave me one last lick and went off on her own path. The last that I saw of Olga, she was walking down the breakdown lane towards the town of Dolnikravny, confusing Polish truck drivers. I've been to the village where they worship the sun. They almost had me. I couldn't run. But baby Olga, it's gotta be fate. After tonight, I'll never eat steak. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mmm, mmm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm. Ba-ba-ba-ba. I participate in McDonald's. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details.